Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we have a community birth story. I love community birth stories because I love talking to our community members. I love hearing about their births. I love watching them go through their pregnancy and then see how everything unfolded. So today I speak with Kate Meredith. She was part of the PYC community very early on, and I watched her go through most of her pregnancy and a good part of her postpartum. And it was just a joy to catch up with her and hear about her pregnancy and her birth. It was really exciting. So let me tell you a little bit about Kate. So Kate Meredith lives in central New Jersey with her husband, Scott, her cat, Evie, I think that's how you pronounce it, and her baby, Alex. And she teaches Spanish in an independent school and loves to swim and practice yoga and bake and travel. And what I think, I love this little fact about Kate. She and her husband are high school sweethearts, and I love that. I don't know too many people that met in high school, continued through, and are now a happy couple. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation with Kate. She gives so much wonderful information and conversation about preparing herself for getting pregnant. We talk about taking charge of her fertility and charting. She talks about the conscious choices she made about her pregnancy and the obstacles about through, that she had during pregnancy and during her birth. And then, of course, she shares her birth story. So I think you'll love that. Now, before we get to that, I just want to touch base on a few things going on at the studio. We've got some wonderful things starting to, to unfold. So we've got our online classes continuing because I'm committed to that. And our in-studio classes are starting classes. Our in-studio classes are starting to fill the schedule a little bit more. So I have some more options for all the folks in New York City. And then we are continuing our online teacher training. People have asked me what we're planning on doing for the winter and the spring. So the October, the September, October, I think has maybe one spot left. So we're doing online for November, December, and then I'm not sure about the winter. We're supposed to be traveling for that one, but I have to see how things are unfolding. We might swing that back online. And then hopefully, fingers crossed, we are back in the studio for the spring. I guess we have to see how everything unfolds with all the variant information and, and the vaccinations and 
kids getting vaccinated. So keep an eye on our website for those that are interested in that. I also wanted to thank a deep heartfelt thanks to those who have gone on and left a rating and review for Yoga Birth Babies. It helps people find us. It means a lot to me that you do that. I know everyone is busy and I know taking even a few minutes out of your day to do that can just be another to do. So thank you for those that have done that. I appreciate your time and effort. And then I request if you have the moment, if you have the time and effort, please leave a rating and review for others to see. And hopefully they'll also enjoy everything that this podcast has to offer. And then my last thing is I just want to announce that we are starting to partner with with this amazing company called Boober. I love the name. I will keep laughing and giggling every time I say it. Boober. They help you find lactation support, a birth doula, a mental health therapist, a postpartum doula. They've got online classes and we are working with them and I want to support them and they want to support us. So if you are looking for any of those things, you can go to get boober.com and put in the code PYC to get 10% off your services. And it's a way that Boober and I continue to work closely together and we support them. They support us. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy Kate's birth story. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, Deb. So nice to chat with you. I am so excited to reconnect with you. Oh my gosh, it's been quite the year we've had together, huh? For sure. And I feel like a celebrity being on the podcast I listen to so many times. <laughs> yeah, I think you are one of the originals from when we went um when we went online with our classes. So it's kind of fun to go full circle. So thanks for being so committed to our community. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump in. Um, as I was saying, you've been with us for over a year as part of our community, and it was amazing to watch you go through your pregnancy, have your baby, and now, as which I told you, I think you were like 39 weeks. I'm like, just planting the seed. I'm going to want to hear your birth story. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. I want to hear all about how the birth went. I want to hear kind of your preparation for pregnancy and birth. I know you were listening to the podcast before you were even pregnant. And then also let's touch base about parenthood. So I guess let's start with, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. Okay. Well, um, so I'm Kate. I live in New Jersey. Um, my husband and I are high school sweethearts. And um, so that's a cute, wholesome thing about us. <laughs> And I love languages, so that's kind of my hobby. I teach Spanish. We're raising our son bilingual in Spanish and English. Um, I also speak Portuguese and some Arabic, and I've been learning Russian for fun the last few years. So that's kind of my side project. That is amazing. Um, 
all the languages. It was never something I was particularly good at. So I'm always impressed when people really, uh, when that's their, something that rolls so easily off their tongue. So I know when I reached out to you to be on the podcast, and if there's anything in particular you wanted to talk about, you had mentioned taking charge of your fertility and charging your cycle. And I have to tell you, I devoured that book when I was trying to get pregnant. So I'd love to hear how you used that book, what it meant to you, how you think that book helped and the impact it had as you were preparing to get pregnant. Yeah. Well, looking back, I think that kind of set the tone for the whole pregnancy, fertility, pregnancy, postpartum journey, because reading that, I was like, oh, this is amazing to learn that the processes happening in inside my body are not some unknowable, mystical thing, but actually predictable and there and observable. So um, I just love to learn that and to be able to, as I was like coming off the pill, to be able to see what was happening with my body. Mm-hmm. And because so I've been on the pill for so long, I didn't know how long it would take for um, me to start ovulating again and or if I had any problems because some of my friends had had trouble conceiving and so it was just a huge peace of mind and I guess feel some feeling of control to know what was happening and to be able to observe what was happening and know that I would have some tools to figure out if things were weren't right. I would have um, more information. So I just loved that and thought it was just so, so interesting. So I was charting for like maybe two years before we started trying. And then I got pregnant on the second try. So I think that also helped. Yeah, I did. I did that too. I found it a little challenging about, and I, and I vaguely remember this. It was a while ago. Um, if you get up at a certain time to like pee in the middle of the night, then that's not going to, that's going to throw the temperature off. How strictly mm-hmm. did you follow the temperature and the charting of that? <laughs> really strictly, but, um, <laughs> but, well, it worked. Um, but you know, when this will play in later, but sleep is really, really important to me. I'm, I'm just a person that needs like a good nine or 10 hours of sleep per night. So I really respect that and follow the rules of sleep hygiene in normal life. So, um, and just feel better when I'm on and more grounded when I'm on a, um, consistent regimen. So, so for me, that was actually okay because I, in general, in life, feel better when I'm going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, and then exercising in the morning. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was was not too bad. And also, I used the um, Kindara app mm-hmm. and their thermometer that doesn't beep. It's very quick. It just like vibrates, and it's Bluetooth enabled, so it sends the temperature to your phone, to the app. And that made it a lot easier too. Yeah. And I went old school. I had actually a paper chart (laughs) and a thermometer. (laughs) I'm very curious as we unfold your story to hear how sleep is postpartum and if you're getting your nine or 10 hours. So we can, we can put that on pause for a moment, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to touch base on that later. So what were some of the conscious choices you made during your pregnancy and preparing for your birth? Well, since I was researching and reading books, um, like I read Ina Gaskin 
like way before we were even trying. And I was like, (laughs) knew it wasn't culturally appropriate to be reading these things when you're not pregnant, but that it made sense to be thinking about it beforehand. So Mm -hmm. I like to like read them on my Kindle so people couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but just seeing that even though it's a natural process, it's not always allowed to unfold naturally. And a lot of things are done that aren't evidence-based and that don't help women or their babies. So I was just really aware from the beginning that I wanted a certain kind of care, um, midwifery care, and um, wanted to do everything that I could to help myself have an easier time. So, um, so let me think what kinds of things did I do while exercising and diet. I also read Lily Nichols book, uh, real food for pregnancy, Mm. which is a textbook and like cover to cover took copious notes. Um, but then of course I got pregnant and was sick as a dog in the first trimester. So I was not able to follow her recommendations. (laughs) She's great. I've had her on the podcast. She's got a lot of amazing knowledge. Mm -hmm. And recipes in that book too, and on her website, which are super helpful for like high protein, low carb, nutrient dense meals. Were there any things that you found as obstacles? As you know, you said that you were nauseous. So during your pregnancy, you know, surprises besides the nausea, um, or even when you're picking a care provider, things that you that just made it a little bit more challenging. Yeah, well, I knew I wanted midwives and when I really thought about it, what I really wanted was a home birth. But my husband wasn't really into it. He thought it was too risky. And another thing that people don't really talk about is that it is cost prohibitive because insurance usually won't cover it. Yeah, that can be a problem. I know that I don't know how I got lucky. Somehow I got when I had my two babies at home, I got the insurance or I didn't. The person that was processing things somehow got our midwife, even though she was out of network, to be acknowledged as in network. So we were really fortunate. But it is a little crazy because if you look at the cost of a home birth, it is a lot cheaper than a hospital birth. So I know that is an obstacle for a lot of people. Yeah. And it doesn't really make sense. Like how can, you know, two midwives in your home without all these machines, without all these drugs, although I get, and it, I mean, they do carry some, um, medications, but like, how can that overall cost more than what's happening in the hospital? But, um, yeah. I wonder if it's risk. I wonder if they see it mm-hmm. as a greater risk and therefore should something go wrong, then they're going to say, but we didn't have X, Y, and Z to take care of this. So the risk of payout, if something goes wrong, might be higher than in the hospital. I'm just shooting from the Maybe, hip. Yeah. I'm, I have no data on that. I will admit <laughs> I'm just giving some theories. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was kind of a disappointment, but um, we kind of split the difference and went with a midwifery practice that's for midwives that deliver in the hospital here in Princeton. And um, they also work with a group of OBs. So I liked that if 
like a cesarean were necessary. It wouldn't be the midwife that I knew just handing me over to a complete stranger. Like mm-hmm. they had, would have a relationship and a rapport and would get better continuity of care. Cause that's another problem with home birth is that in a lot of places, not that it's home birth's fault, but, um, if you have to transfer to a hospital, your midwife can't go with you and mm-hmm. won't have privileges there. So we thought this was a good middle ground and it did end up working out really well for us. Were there, and so that was finding a care provider. Was there anything during your pregnancy that really surprised you? Either mentally um, or physically or emotionally about watching this whole process unfold? I guess. This is going to sound so stupid, but it surprised me how much I loved this baby already, even when I knew he was like a poppy seed. That's really sweet. It's not silly. It's really (laughs) sweet because you really planned for it and you really planted the, the seed, I should say, you know, you, you wanted it and you created this rich ground. So I don't think that's silly at all. Yeah, I would tell him all the time when he was in my belly that we we wanted you, we planned for you, we hoped for you, and now we're waiting for you. <laughs> that is sweet. So I would love to hear your birth stories. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, I'd love to hear all the details. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we are back. So let's hear how it unfolded. You were in class one day and then you weren't. So let's hear. <laughs> so, so just take it away. Okay, well, I was in class 
Got to enjoy way more classes than I thought I would <laughs> as I got through like week 38, 39, 40, 41. <laughs> and, um, and the midwives were very calm about it because everything was looking good. They were checking me. They're like, you know, most first time mamas go into labor in the 41st week. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep monitoring you, but, um, but I wouldn't worry. And that in that 40, 41st week, I was doing all the things that have any evidence of uh, natural induction because I did want to avoid the hospital induction if possible. So, oh my gosh, I'd been eating 80 grams of dates every day. And you know, I measured them. Of course you did. (laughs) Every day, week 36. um, I was doing the evening primrose oil. I was in yoga. I was walking. I was seeing the chiropractor. I had... um, acupuncture for induction three times. Um, we had sex. I had my membranes stripped, everything. And um, still nothing. And when I was in Caprice's Saturday class at 41 weeks and three days. So I was the last person to say, because she was like kind of going around by when, you know, how how far away people were from their due dates. So... <laughs> Um, and that day I had, I went to the very last resort that I had, which was the castor oil. Oh, <laughs> no, I've done that with a couple clients. So I say that with, with a lot of knowledge. Um, so you know what that means. I do. Um, was your, did they say your cervix was soft and ready for that? Yeah. Cause, um, at my 41 week exactly appointment, I asked her to stir my membranes, but the cervix wasn't open enough to be able to do that. Um, but then two days later it was, so, so she did that and she's like, okay, I really stripped them good, (laughs) but I still didn't go into labor. So, um, so we talked about the castor oil smoothie. Uh, I bought all the ingredients and I said, okay, so, so that was a Friday that she stripped my membranes 41 weeks and two days. I said, so like Sunday morning, should I do this? Cause if I didn't go into labor, I was going to be induced in the hospital on Tuesday, starting Tuesday night. So they could start with the prostaglandins and whatnot one day before I would be 42 weeks. And she said, no, you really should do it at night because most women go into labor naturally at night. Um, something about the oxytocin's at the highest peak. Yeah. And, um, like evolutionarily, we when we're in, we're in the caves, I guess we would be less vulnerable to predators. <laughs> so I did Saturday night. I made the smoothie and drank it, and it was disgusting. And um, and they said now two hours later or three hours later, I forget, or four maybe. Um, there was some kind of recipe and and plan. Uh, drink, make another one, and drink it again, no matter what's happening. Okay, why don't you tell the community <laughs> that's listening the theory behind castor oil, why your why your midwives sent you home with the recipe and what it's supposed to do? Yeah, so evidence-based birth did a whole series on natural induction methods and mm-hmm. evaluating the evidence behind them. And so I did all the things that they found had some evidence of efficacy. And with castor oil, it... Um, really aggravates your stomach and your bowels and kind of by proximity 
can like irritate the uterus and get that to start contracting. But mm-hmm. also I think in the, in lab studies, the castor oil when put directly on uterine tissue did have an effect on it mm-hmm. of um, creating contractions. So you can start your labor that way. However, you do begin with like eight hours of diarrhea. And de- impossible dehydration. Yeah. And it can um, cause meconium staining of the water. All right. So <laughs> you did. You pulled out all the stops and then you went there. I have to tell literally, I think out of my 10 years as a doula, granted, I only did a little over 100 births. I only took about 10 to 12 a year. I think I had two or three students or, or clients use the castor oil. And then I actually did the castor oil not for birth, but for this cleanse, this Ayurvedic cleanse. So I've seen it and I have felt it and it can be strong. It can be like moving things right along. So what mm-hmm. happened um, with your smoothies, your castor <laughs> oil smoothies? Yeah. Our doula said the same thing. She's like, not a lot of mamas will do this. So I applaud your commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh yeah, if I'm getting medically induced, it will be because nothing else worked. (laughs) Everything else failed and it had to happen. Um, yeah, so I did that like 6 p.m. and then again at 10 p.m. And the second one, I could only drink half of it because I was gagging so much. Um, and so the diarrhea set in, um, was dealing with that all night, but around like one in the morning, it started feeling like, the cramping was like regular and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, game on. <laughs> and I was so happy and I was just like guzzling water this whole time. Um, and so I think around three, I'd been timing the contractions and felt like there was some regularity. And so I called our doula, who poor thing, she had been on standby since, you know, like week 38. <laughs> um and she was like, okay, it sounds like it's moving along. I'm going to come over. So I think she came at like 3.30. And I woke my husband up. And so I was laboring at home. And I was so happy. Oh. It was hard. But I was just delighted because this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to labor at home. I imagined it starting at night and with the two of them here. And I'd made an oxytocin playlist of like all these songs because we've been together a long time, my husband and I, and all these songs he's put on like mixtapes for me over the years. So I was just listening to that and in different positions. And I just kept crying because I was so happy. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. I feel so supported. (laughs) That so that was so great. beautiful. All and, right. um, yeah, so I am glad that I did the castor oil, even though it was, it was hard. <laughs> so keep going. So how did things continue to unfold? Well, our plan, like I had told you in class, was to stay home until transition. Because mm-hmm. this is COVID times. Um, I didn't really want to be in the hospital anyway. And the midwives agreed since um, there was no history of precipitous birth in my family. In fact, my mom, poor thing, labored for like three days before she had me. Oh. Yeah. So, so they're like, okay, you're not, you're unlikely to have this baby on the side of the road. Like, and with your doula there, um, she should be able to help you figure out when it's a good time to go to the hospital. So waiting as long as possible sounds good. And statistically that increases your chance of a vaginal birth. 
So I was like, okay, we're waiting as long as possible. That increased my chances. And having gone into labor spontaneously, sort of, um, that increased my chances. I was like, things are looking good. So we stayed home. I labored at home until like noon that day. This is Sunday now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it was getting harder. And I was like, do you think I'm close to transition? Um, and she was like, I think you might be based on the contraction pattern. So we got ready and went to the hospital. I was like, I'm having my baby today. Spoiler, I did not. Um, <laughs> and, um, and we talked about like what to do at the hospital because a lot of people say even just walking into the hospital and they're like, here's your wheelchair. Like, that's your first intervention. So they're like, here's your wheelchair, ma'am. I'm like, nope, I'm going to walk. And they're like, here's your gown. I'm like, nope, I'm going to wear my clothes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we can set up an IV for you. I'm like, nope, I'm going to keep drinking water. So I was really doing it how I wanted to. And, um, and we had great nurses. They were super sweet and accommodating and, um, and I really liked the midwife on call. So I was laboring. And at this point, honestly, I don't even remember it that well because I was kind of delirious. I hadn't slept since Friday night. This is now like Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I kind of remember being on the yoga ball and in the shower and I was using the TENS machine and using the breast pump. Oh, yeah. I used the breast pump the week before also for natural God, You really did pull everything <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was coping really well. I was using the nitrous oxide too, but I was coping well until I wasn't. And, um, and I think I was falling asleep during contractions because they told me that they were getting too spaced out and I wasn't progressing enough. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I was only six centimeters when I got to the hospital, which they were like, yeah, this is great. Active labor. And I was like, no, you were supposed to say like nine. <laughs> Is six is still really good considering it started, you know, around one in the morning the night before. Yeah. That was less than 12 hours. No, a little yeah. more. Than, yeah. Because by the time they probably checked you, it's about 12 hours. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. They said it was good. The midwife's like, yeah, this is great. You're doing great. But I was like, oh, <laughs> I was disappointed. But, um, and I knew that it was my choice whether or not to be getting vaginal checks and, um, and she didn't insist. She was like, I can check you if you want. But um, I was like, yeah, it would be helpful to know. Um, so somewhere in there, I progressed to like eight. And I forget what the station was. I think she said minus one. Mm -hmm. But um, so she's like, I can break your water, smooth things along. I'm like, yes, let's do it. And there was no meconium in the water. So that was another good sign. And I had been taking a probiotic and was group B strep negative. Mm -hmm. So that was helpful that I didn't need the IV for that. Um, so I was just laboring and yeah, then it got, it, it felt like he got stuck because I, my memory was just no longer the rise and the peak and the fall, but just like plateau of constant, really painful contractions. And, um, and like I was starting to say, they, they were telling me that they were too far apart. This has gone on a long time, but I didn't, wasn't aware of that. I just felt like 
what do you mean? It's constant, painful contraction. So I think I was falling asleep in between. So at that point, the midwife said, you need Pitocin. And I was really disappointed because I didn't want Pitocin. I didn't want to have to be in the bed. I knew it would make things a lot more painful. And I already wasn't coping that well at this point. So we'd had like a code word and everything for the epidural so that if I was having self-doubt as like, from what I'd heard, it sounds like almost everybody has or was having that I can't do this, mm-hmm. like um, feelings that I could say the code word and then we could talk about it. And I was like, if I say this word, then you need to clear the room and talk me out of it because I don't actually want the epidural. But then, so this was like Sunday night sometime. Mm-hmm. They said you need Pitocin. And you must have been so tired. I was so tired and I was so upset because I knew I couldn't do it more without the epidural. Um, And no one gave me any pushback on that. They're like, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I've heard from a lot of people that it can be really painful getting the epidural, but I think I fell asleep when they're like, lean forward on your husband. I think I just fell asleep because I don't remember getting it. And I have to say they did a really good job. I didn't get too much fluid in the IV and I could still feel my legs with the epidural Mm -hmm. and could be moved into like different positions. So I think they did a really great job of getting the right amount for the pain relief. And so I could rest a bit, Mm -hmm. but not so much that I was totally immobilized. How'd you feel once you got it and you were able to, I'm guessing, sleep maybe? I couldn't really sleep because I was like, then I was able to sort of process. I was like, oh, I hear you. Okay. The fuck just happened? Like that really went off the rails. Um, Like what? (laughs) And so like my husband fell asleep and our doula fell asleep. Bless her. She was still there with us. Mm -hmm. This is now early hours of Sunday, of Monday morning. Um, and like the machines kept beeping. Um, so I like rested, but I didn't, I didn't really sleep. But what was great about the epidural was that the only part of the labor that was kind of traumatic because it was hard and I was working through it, but I didn't give up or anything, but I did get the uncontrollable shaking. Mm-hmm. And that was terrifying. Like, it doesn't sound that bad, so it's kind of hard to explain why it is so terrible. But, um, and I'd heard about it before with when people were getting, like, prepped for a C-section with the spinal block or after the baby came out. But I didn't know about it, like, during an unmedicated labor, which is what I had at that point. And... I was just shaking so hard and felt so cold. I felt like I had hypothermia and the physical sensation of it felt a lot like anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so they kept telling me like, no, this is good. It's normal. It means your hormones are really kicking in. And I sort of believe them, but also like every fiber of my being was telling me, if you don't get warm, you're going to die. And this is scary. It was really scary. And like, I went under the shower, but it wasn't hot enough. And 
I had like all these layers on me that I was just sweating through, but I just, I couldn't get warm. So then actually with the epidural that stopped and my legs felt like all warm and tingly. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to die. So So that was good. (laughs) That's definitely good. So you were processing. So when everyone was sleeping and you were kind of in your thoughts, how did you, or did you come to peace with getting the epidural? How, what was that like? Well, at that point also, it had been such a long time and, um, that I was also kind of like, I just want my baby. Mm-hmm. And this was probably what needed to happen. It sounds like I needed the Pitocin to be able to get him out and, I needed the epidural to be able to cope with the Pitocin. So, um, cause the way I felt about all these inter- interventions is that I don't, I only want them if they're necessary. Mm-hmm. Then if they're necessary, I do want them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did really trust the midwives who at this point now shift change, a new midwife was coming in because I felt like natural birth is what they do. Most, if not all of them had worked in home birth before, and they knew that that's what I had wanted. So I felt like if, if a midwife is telling me I need Pitocin, that means I really need Pitocin. So I don't have to question whether this was really necessary. So that helped too, that I didn't have to feel like, do I really need this? Cause also I was in no place to be having an argument, you know? Right. It's so good. That's some of the homework you did before. It's, you don't have to question because you had trust that if they're recommending this, you've created that relationship that you're like, if they're telling me this, then I believe you, I need this. Mm -hmm. And and we shouldn't as birthing people be in that front cortex of our brain during labor and having that conversation. So it's good that the fact that you had that trust just allows the the oxytocin to keep moving and that trust to keep building without disturbing. So I'm glad that mm-hmm. I'm glad you had that. Yeah, they were great. And I like that it was a small practice of just four of them because mm-hmm. there were was one that I saw the most just because I really liked her energy and and bedside manner. But I'd met all of them and had somewhat of a rapport. So that was, that was helpful. Cause of course the one that I had seen the most was not on duty in the time when I was in the hospital. So here but, you were laboring, you got your epidural, you were I'm guessing mm-hmm. a little more comfortable, at least able to rest. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, I think it was at eight in the morning, the new midwife came in and she checked me and she said, okay, like this has gone on almost too long. You're still only eight centimeters and he is still two stations away from being born. So you have two hours to move him down or maybe just one hour. Um, I think it might've just been one hour to dilate two more centimeters and move him down two stations. Otherwise <laughs> it's a C-section. Yikes. <laughs> Okay. Good luck. <laughs> how, how, what was your mind at that point when you heard that? I was just kind of like, again, natural birth is what they do. So I just want my baby. If that's what has to happen, then 
I'll be okay with it because I'll also know that I have tried everything under the sun and given it my absolute best. Right. But, um, but that's when having a doula made all the difference because she was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> and put me in all these different positions and and she had brought all these books with her she's so amazing um and was checking different things and she's like okay i have a few positions that are really effective at moving babies down but actually i don't get to use them that often because if you don't have an epidural they're too excruciating oh goodness okay (laughs) (laughs) for the mama so it was like um oh and i've been doing spinning babies moves like the whole third trimester for uh-huh. positioning. Um, and yeah, there was sort of a mystery. What was the position of this baby? Because the way he was getting seemed to be stuck. People kept asking like nurses and the midwives, Oh, he's probably posterior. So you're, you're having back labor. And I was like, no, not at all. So we couldn't really figure out what the deal was. Um, I wonder so if he's asynclitic me. with his, the spine was forward, but the head, the ear was towards the shoulder. So the head's not pressing, like the side of the head is pushing the cervix as opposed to the small part in the back. Yes. Afterwards, they all conferred with each other. And that was the consensus. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know my labor patterns. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they just so shimmy him positions. around Good and, um, and some of them did hurt, even though I had the epidural and I could just feel this building pressure. But, um, but you know what, when the midwife came back and checked me, she's like, okay, you're fully dilated. He's ready to come. So you push now. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm like, uh, oh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, and the room like filled up with a hundred people. Um, and, and actually I did appreciate that she brought in the doctor who would have done the cesarean if that was necessary, who, and she was there waiting to, and because it had been so long, like the head NICU nurse was there and they all introduced themselves. And, um, I don't know, even with the masks, I, I just got a good vibe from both of them. So I was like, okay, these ladies are going to take care of me. And, um, we tried some different positions and like, I'd been in pelvic floor physical therapy. Oh yeah. I did that as well <laughs> beforehand. Um, and we'd practice pushing in different positions with gravity, squatting, hands and knees. And those just like, weren't as effective. So I ended up pushing the last way I thought I would, which was like on my back with my legs up wide and like yanking on my knees. And so I pushed for an hour and 20 minutes and, um, and I was really worried about tearing because who wants that? Um, so we had like olive oil and so the midwife was like applying the olive oil as his head was starting to come out. They put a mirror so I could see, and that was weird, (laughs) but it did help actually to be able to see the progress. And, um, and she was like stretching me a little bit too. And I was like, ah, Ooh, ah, (laughs) but she was like, look at this pelvis. You have so much room. This is a great pelvis. (laughs) (laughs) And since she had been so like blunt, I was like, you know, if this bad bitch is telling me that I've got room, I've got room. Get that baby out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I was pushing and pushing and, um, 
but actually I had no concept of the time. Like they told me it was an hour and 20 minutes, but if they had said it was three hours, I would have believed it. If they'd said it was 30 minutes, I would have also believed it. Um, cause I was so delirious. This is like noon on Monday now. So I hadn't slept since Friday night and had been in labor since like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, but he came out and he was so beautiful and he was almost two weeks late. So he already looked like a full baby, not just like a little potato. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, he was a little bit limp when he came out. So they put him on my chest, but then she went to cut the cord and I was like, no, we want delayed cord clamping. But she's like, nope, this baby needs resuscitation. Um, And actually, the gold standard is for babies to be resuscitated on the mom's chest with the cord intact. But, um, And I talked about that with the midwives. They're like, yeah, we agree. That's the evidence-based standard, but the hospital just isn't there yet. So he had to, they had to cut the cord right away and move him to the warming basket, and Mm -hmm. everyone was working on him there. But I had a big fear of him being taken away from me. Um, I don't really know why, but... I was like, this baby's not leaving my arms or my sight. Like, let's all be clear on that. And luckily that basket with all the tools and everything is like right by the head of the bed. So he was still right there. We could see him. And I actually, I talked about it with my husband after. Neither of us were that scared, even though it seems like it would be really scary that he was kind of limp and didn't cry right away. But, um, But we weren't like... Everyone just seemed really competent, and I knew that sometimes happens, and it's okay. They just, like, need a minute to adjust to Mm -hmm. this crazy thing that just happened. And and he came around pretty quickly. They did some suctioning, gave him a little oxygen, and and then he was just screaming, and they're like, whoa, look how big, it's so long. And, And, yeah, and then he went right on my chest, and... It was just amazing, and we were crying, and I think my husband was, like, really impressed with what I just did. (laughs) Oh, Kate, that is beautiful. That is really beautiful, and you trusted the process. I know it wasn't, and we talk about this in class so much that it rarely unfolds how we envision it, but part of the pregnancy and birth and parenting is knowing that we can't control everything, but we can work with what's in front of us. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you accepted and, and processed and moved with the bumps in the road. I mean, and that's what we learn in yoga. That's what we learn, especially in parenthood. Because like control is (laughs) control in general is kind of a a myth. Um, (laughs) But I'm, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you did accept what was there and you didn't try to fight it. Like, no, I'm going to do it this way. You had trust with your team and that mm-hmm. allowed you to trust what they had to say and then trust the process. That's, yeah. Mm. And I did feel, I was thinking about this on my walk today with Alex, that I a lot of the details are blurry and like, even though I talked it over afterwards with my doula, um, there's a lot I'm not sure about, but I remember exactly how I felt at all mm-hmm. these different stages. So I, I really get what people say about being cared for matters and being supported and and knowing that like your life is in these people's hands, but 
they care about you and are going to do their absolute best to make sure it all turns out well. Like knowing that makes such a difference. Yeah, I think it's Penny Simkin. I'm going to totally butcher this. So I'm not quoting. I'm kind of parallel <laughs> talking of what she says. It's, it's not that we remember the details, but we remember how we were made to feel during it. And mm-hmm. that's what, and you can feel supported and heard and seen and respected. Or on the other side, sometimes people are not heard and yeah. supported and seen. I'm glad though that you were so. Because I know it wasn't exactly how you'd envisioned, but you were supported. That's amazing. Talk to me about the recovery from birth because it was a long birth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I know you can relate to that. Um... I too had a long birth <laughs> and I had a lot of recovery. Um, so I say this with the utmost support for you. How How are you on the other side? It's been several months. It it was really hard at first because, um, so starting parenthood and constant nursing when you've been awake for three days is, is really hard. And, um, I haven't heard people talk about this, but I think it played a factor. I wonder if in the future evidence will, will come up about this. I got the maximum dose of Pitocin in the end. And I had just every muscle in my body was so stiff. So not just the pelvic floor, but um, like everything, my arms, my shoulders, my neck, it was all so painful. Um, And I did have a small tear, a second degree tear, but not that bad. So I was happy about that. But trying to nurse around the clock and my, my little baby had a pretty severe, has a pretty severe posterior tongue tie. Mm -hmm. So trying to nurse this thrashing tongue tied baby that was just excruciating. Um, So I'm then also tensing every muscle in my body, preparing for this atrocious pain every hour. Um, I basically got a rotator cuff injury, Um, like tennis elbow. Yeah. So that, that's been really hard. Um, and the nursing's been really hard and trying to decide what to do with this tongue tie because the recommendation is to get a revision, but it's not as likely to work with a posterior tongue tie versus an anterior, like where you lift up the tongue and you can just see the, um, restriction. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's very invasive and you have to do these exercises where you poke your finger in the wound multiple times a day so it doesn't grow back that way. So we just, we just couldn't, um, we just couldn't do that. So, so I nursed through the pain, um, and we supplemented and cause he wasn't gaining weight. Well, it was like a whole traumatic thing, um, leading to a complete breakdown on day five or so at the lactation consultant. Um, and you know, another reason that I wanted a home birth was for the postpartum care of having the midwife come to the house after, because it seemed crazy to have to be able to go, to have to go out with the baby. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was, that was really, really hard trying to go out those days afterwards. Um, but, and, and I, 
I just didn't think it would be that hard. Like I knew it was going to be hard, but I thought with all of my knowledge and all of my support and like I knew what lactation consultant I was going to go to. I knew and had been going to the pelvic floor PT that I would see again and and had the chiropractor ready and we'd picked out the pediatrician. Um, our parents are nearby. Like we have so many things that help that other people don't have and yet it was still so hard. Sorry. How are you doing? It is. It is hard for a lot of us. It is really hard. So tell me how you kept moving forward and what was helpful. Well, I don't give up. Yes, I know that. Like almost to a fault. (laughs) (laughs) Even when the same logical thing to do would be to give up. So we're still nursing. And what's crazy is that I guess that's parenthood, like that you end up doing everything differently than how you thought and things change all the time. Mm -hmm. So it has gotten easier and, um, and we still supplement and I pump and he gets bottles of my milk and donor milk and formula. So he's getting what he needs and so that helps. Um, also being a person that needs a lot of sleep, the torture grade sleep deprivation <laughs> of postpartum was, was really hard for me. But, um, mercifully my little boy is a really good sleeper. So once we got his weight under control, like we had to wake him up to feed him. And, um, so he wanted to sleep through the night from like five weeks. Wow. Or so. Um, but now we can let him. So, <laughs> so that's really, really helpful. And, um, and actually supplementing, I feel lucky that he's able, my baby is able to move well between the breast and the bottle because supplementing really helps. Cause my husband takes the night shift and we'll give him like two, his last two bottles, whereas I can pump and go to sleep and live to fight another day. And then I just nurse him in the morning. Mm-hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You've really, really been through a path and I appreciate you sharing (laughs) that. Okay. When we come back, if you have one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents, we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. Oh, I have to tell you, I just have this place in my heart that I'm just sitting with your story and I'm just so appreciative of you sharing the challenges. I feel like too much of the time, we don't want to be vulnerable and share what was hard and you did. And, and I just want to say thank you for that. 
Oh, thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right. So what is one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer to new or expectant parents? So I thought a lot about this and other people have said it before, but it bears the repeating of hire an excellent doula. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm biased. I'm biased. <laughs> I mean, the evidence is clear that the doulas improve birth outcomes, even though they're a non-medical person. And she made all the difference for us. And I would say hire a great doula early in your pregnancy because we talked all the time mm-hmm. and everything I read about like, oh, birth balls or peanut balls. Like that's a great thing to use in labor. But then I would get overwhelmed because there are different sizes and use them differently in different poses, depending where you are in the labor. Um, I would be like, ah, peanut balls. And she's like, don't worry. I've got it. I know how to use it. I'll bring it. So she was just an amazing support through my whole pregnancy. And then in the labor, she made all the difference. Like I have no doubt that it would have been on top of those several days of labor, a cesarean recovery, if not for her. So hire an excellent, amazing doula. And if you're in the central New Jersey area, that person is Claudia Paris. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll make sure I have her, her contact information in the show notes. I know you also wanted to talk about the birth justice fund. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so my son was born the beginning of December, and then before you know it, it's the holidays, and um, we like to give a donation gift to our family. So my husband was researching and found the Birth Justice Fund, and it's an organization that works to, as the name says, promote justice by supporting women, especially women of color, by providing funds for midwifery services and doula services. So so that's a really great resource because um, it is out of pocket to pay for a doula. So if you think that you can't afford one, well, first of all, I would say reach out anyway because many doulas offer, offer sliding scale for their services. But, um, but also there's the birth justice fund because it's so worth it. They do improve outcomes and and everyone deserves that care. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm going to make sure that we post that in the show notes as well. So people that want to donate to it can, and people that want to examine the possibility of getting support from them, they can. Oh, I want to thank you so, so much for sharing your story. I wanted it because I thought it'd be a good story and support and interesting for the listening community. And then I'm going to say selfishly, I wanted to hear your story. <laughs> I had seen you from early, early on in your pregnancy and to watch you evolve as a pregnant person and as a parent, it was really special. So thank you for granting me this time of hearing your story. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity. Um, and you know, (laughs) four months postpartum, I'm still too sleepy to filter myself. So (laughs) I knew you were going to get the truth, but I'm so happy to be able to chat with you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. (laughs) Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.